Welcome to Commune, a global wellness community and online course platform featuring some of the world's greatest teachers. We are on a mission to inspire, heal, pass down wisdom, and bring the world closer together. This is the Commune Podcast, where each week we explore the ideas and practices that help us live this healthy, connected, and purpose-filled life. In addition to our courses on yoga, meditation, and personal development, Commune also offers an array of social impact courses, including Unwinding Prejudice, Redefining Leadership, and Organize a March. If you're interested in enrolling in any of these course offerings for free, please email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. Right now, I think we can all benefit from learning and growing in order to better serve our communities. So last week, Skylar's mom, my mother-in-law, Anne Grant, came to visit us in Topanga. Now, Anne is unique. At first blush, you'd peg her as an old hippie, a quasi-nudist, Northern Californian organic gardener who collects her own poop. All of that is true. But that's too simple of a read. Anne grew up on a proper ranch, culling roosters, butchering pigs, re-roofing barns, and laying foundations. And at 76, she still carries that grit with her. She's a voracious reader, intellectual, but not a feat. She and her husband, Jack, Skyler's dad, have lived on the same property for nearly 50 years with no central heating, limited plumbing and electricity, a rotary phone, and no internet. Now, Anne and I have a quirky and warm relationship, one that belies the stereotypical mother-in-law, son-in-law rapport. And today on the show, we discuss something typically taboo, death, or more specifically, dying well. Anne is honest and sanguine about how she wants to die with dignity. And we talk about that today. My name is Jeff Krasno, and welcome to Commune. I am Jeff's mother-in-law. My daughter, beloved daughter, is married to Jeff. So that's right. We've we've known each other for maybe 32 years. Well, I've known Skylar for 32 years. So maybe I, 30 years at least. We've known each other a long time. I've seen you over a long time and through a lot. That's true. You've seen probably very a, a number of different renditions of me. Correct. Yeah. And I hope you like the current rendition. I liked all the renditions, basically. <laughs> so you have the distinct honor of being the oldest person ever on the podcast. Ah, right. 76. 76. Well, my father was actually on the podcast. Oh, but I, think I remember that. He was not he was not 76 when he was on so you're amongst uh-huh the oldest and um when we were discussing the subjects that we might cover you brought up the subject of sex i did and i'm very glad 
and I think many other people are, that we did not land on that particular subject. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not so glad. I have many things I could say about that that I think would be of relevance, especially to your daughters. But we needn't go there. Yes. Right. It's for Skylar, really, to yeah. do that, I think. Well, this could be a podcast with a circulation of four instead of the larger circulation that this one has. Um, but I am uh, glad that we decided to talk about the subject that we are going to cover, which is death, which is a taboo subject for a lot of people. A lot of people don't like to talk about it. Um, but of course, it seems prescient and ever present in our current um, climate yes. because here we are in a global pandemic. Um, and I suppose you've had the most years of anyone on this show to think about it. So I'm curious to know your general thoughts about death, but also how you, in your ideal vision would like to die hmm um okay i uh, when you said death i thought dying more than death okay. so that's the topic dying mm, yeah and so um um yes because i am so much older now than ever i was before i i really it's up for me a bit more. I feel myself mortal in a way that I didn't like even at you know, your age. I didn't think I was going to die. I mean, I never, of course, I knew we all know it more or less, but not really, very much less. But now it's more. And I could talk here about the more that has to do with my mother dying. She really chose her death, chose her dying in a conscious and very uh, elegant way. So I have that example before me. And you provided a lot of palliative care. Right. right? My sisters, I have two sisters, and we three took care of my mother. She had a, a quite a bad stroke lost her ability basically to walk and talk, although she tried hard to get those things back, and that was its own elegance. And then when there came a time that that was not going to happen, and that happened probably within, well, we took care of her for two years. And probably in the last six months, she knew it's over, really. And she didn't want to stick around. I remember asking her, Mother, are you, uh, uh, how do you feel about after you die? What will, what will happen for you after you die? And she, not being able to speak, just waved her hands out into the air and looked around. And uh, for her, it was just, she was going to dissolve hmm. into stardust, call it what you will, atoms come back and and she was more than okay with that so she stopped eating hmm. <clears throat> and it took her a month to actually dissolve yeah 
and she just stopped eating and then within everybody got to come around Skylar came around to say goodbye my son Skylar's brother three years older he came he brought his kids we all got to say that and then the last week she was more or less in a drifting in and out maybe you would call it a coma and boop, then she was gone but it was it was sweet mm-hmm it was just a great thing to see. There wasn't really, I don't think, a lot of pain. Even toward the end, we did have hospice. We didn't really need hospice because we were so familiar with taking care of her. That, But we had it. They had morphine, which they could give her, which we couldn't. She wouldn't take it hardly. I think she was like, I don't want to be an addict. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's never too late to make <laughs> decisions about how you want to live your life. Exactly. Um, it, but at that point, what year was that? Do you remember? Yes, that was uh, 17 years ago now. No, let me think. Okay. Yes, well, no, 15 years ago. My oldest wow. granddaughter was born. No, yeah, no, 17 years ago. Right. So. She, Sienna was a, just a tiny, tiny baby when... Uh, she died. Right. Hmm. Because at that juncture, at least in California, from the little I have read. Correct. It there, was, w- there was not... Um, the dying an, with dignity right. option was not available. Right. So you could choose to stop eating or, or drinking. Correct. Um, but there wasn't a process in place um, for the legal prescription of barbiturates Mm. or some form of medicine that would essentially help you in your passing. Right. There was nothing to draw down the curtain as fast Mm -hmm. as that does. Her doctor was very on it with that. He understood that she wanted to. He thought it was a great thing. And um, there wasn't, we didn't have to have the coroner anything like that the doctor said she died of natural causes in her home yeah and back then there was that element if you die in your home you have to have some somebody say this was a not a murder or whatever right right and she was in her 80s right she was 84 84 so with the little bit of you know research that i've done over the last century, um, you know, life expectancy has gone generally up and up and up until the last couple of years, which is interesting, which we could talk about. But I think at the beginning of the 20th century, um, women lived to about 48 on an average basis and men lived to 46. Is that really true? Um, we have to remember that there's the two ways to look at things, and I'm not sure of this, but there's the all the infant deaths that used to happen. Correct. And then, so did that pull the, is it the median or whatever, did that pull it down so it looked like a lot of people died? Or what? That's yeah, I mean, it's absolutely a, a valid point. For sure that advances in modern medicine have eliminated infectious diseases that uh, disproportionately affect children. And when 
someone dies when they're three or four, that's going to bring the average down in a way that um, can be misleading. Um, still, I think it is a relatively safe assumption to say that while people, while certainly many people lived into their 70s and even 80s. Correct. Um, yes. You know, in the 1800s and in the 1900s, that overwhelmingly now people are extending their lives um, and modern allopathic medicine has been, uh, I suppose, part and parcel of this um, kind of different shaped graph. I know that you read Atul Gawande's book, Being Mortal, and that he has some very compelling visuals in that book hmm. where, you know, you can progress kind of through your life and then you hit this place where something happens, you know, mm -hmm. you, you get sick or, you know, you have some form of traumatic accident. And instead of just dropping off the cliff and dying, it's this slow, lingering, gradual right. demise that looks like increased life expectancy, but it may not be an indication of a very, I guess, uh, enjoyable existence. Quality of life deal. Yeah. Yeah, correct. So you have diabetes, and you get the insulin and all like that, and you, you live on or, you know, a kidney disease, and now you're doing dialysis, and you're staying alive, and right. Mm -hmm. Now my mother, for instance, uh, she fell after her stroke, probably a year after, broke her hip. And the doctor wanted to have a hip replacement mm -hmm. for her. And we were just like, what? She can't walk. Why would we want to get a hip replacement for her? Silly. You know, there is that part of allopathic medicine. It's a business. Yeah. And hospitals are a business. So there's... That yeah. part of the extension of life, not necessarily extension of quality of life. But if you don't want to die, you might like to stay alive no matter what. Yeah, well... If you're scared of it. Right. Too. Yeah, and, and I, I suppose there's a certain kind of religious or spiritual component to that equation. Um, and, and I don't know if your mother, I don't remember if she was a religious person or not. But... When there was more, when culture was more faith-based, mm -hmm. there w was a feeling that that death was the providence of God, and a lot of meaning was actually ascribed to what happened after, in the afterlife. Like mm -hmm. things would be revealed, and certainly there's heaven and reincarnation and hell. Um, that gave a certain, uh, I guess, purpose to life after death. Um, right. But in this kind of modern world, and I, I don't know if you agree with this, but in this modern world, death doesn't seem to, it seems to no longer be sort of the providence of God. It seems to be very much in the realm of medicine and science. And so your life or the end of it, it's generally someone's fault or, 
you know that that it's com- <laughs> that, that it's not um that there's not sort of a helpless resignation to a power greater than you it's right. actually like you my doctor keep me alive or you you know gave me some medication that had side effects or whatever and i wonder if that creates a certain amount of what you said fear um of life you uh-huh. know um well fear of life well so that you, that the fear that you have such a fear of death because everything that's meaningful is packed into this life short lifespan that you stop living because you're so scared of dying <laughs> you know what i mean <laughs> uh, um and and so I, I wonder you know with your mother and also with you um is there sort of a spiritual religious component to not being afraid of death mm-hmm. yes well, my mother was not a religious person. I mean, in the sense of organized, any kind of church thing like that. Uh, we, her six children, and my father and mother, we lived on a ranch. There was a lot of killing of animals, of all, you know, feathered and furred. And um, that was just part of, you could say that was, we ate because of the other creatures dying. And that was not, that was accepted. And I really think, hmm, my mother would always say, I'm just a peasant. I'm really a peasant. And she, I think she had that feeling that she had that, the, maybe it would be the faith in fate. Hmm. It's fate that we all die. And so she wasn't going to worry about it. I think it was that. She, she wasn't. My father, on the other hand, fought dying the whole way. Wanted to be living and couldn't believe it that he was dying. He ended up in a hospital, all the tubes and whatnot, and he, he had a pretty miserable dying as a consequence with no family around at the at the end yeah because he fought it you know skyler's grandfather uh your husband jack's father Mm -hmm. ellsworth Mm -hmm. um he you know one of the reasons um, I think, you know, he had this house in, on the East Coast that we all spent a lot of time in. You guys went out there every summer, and Skyler and I eventually took sort of the responsibility of the care of that house on um, very much around, around the idea of, of kind of how you dealt with your mother, with this idea that our old people can be kind of sitting on the porch in a rocking chair, sort of taking life in, watching their kids, watching their grandchildren, watching, in this case, even their grandchildren. Their great-grandchildren. Their great-grandchildren, right. Right. Um, All the way up until, you know, pretty close to when they die. Yes. And um, and I, I, I was very attached to that idea and being able to, I suppose... Provide the corner. Yeah, 
Yeah. You provided, you and Skylar provided <laughs> the corner for Ellsworth, my father-in-law. Yeah. yeah. Um, Very cool. Very and, good. And, uh, but I think that that situation or the situation that you had with your mom um, is kind of rare. And, and in these days, in this day and age, and that our, um, our elders are often seen as more of a nuisance that are sometimes kind of shift, shipped off to facilities instead of revered as these kind of oracles of wisdom, you know, right. the way I think people used to view their elders. And, and I wonder if kind of this sort of extent, this artificial extension of life through modern medicine has sort of eroded the uh-huh. exalted position that an old person should right. have <laughs> because now they have to be shouldered as a burden more yeah. and st- uh, yeah well there's no guarantee that when you're old <laughs> you're going to be wise <laughs> absolutely no guarantee it's true. and um I never thought of my father-in-law as particularly wise. <laughs> <laughs> well, how? Uh, yeah. So maybe I'm not wise myself. I don't know. I know. That's okay. <laughs> we had some issues. Yeah. Well, but that's anyway. That's natural. But you know, you whether you're you would qualify it as wisdom or knowledge, which and there's well, a distinction. Maybe, yeah. There could be reverence. Two. There could yeah. be a. a, a a reverence for here is someone who has lived for, and they have a certain amount of experience to and impart. perspective. Correct. Yeah. Right. I mean, I certainly, you know, Ellsworth and I sometimes disagreed on you know political issues, um, but I certainly respected the fact that he had experience. Yes. So, how, how have you thought about? Um, and I don't mean to be at all morbid but because i don't think you're morbid about it um but how have you thought about dying ah well hmm i mean do you have a plan i don't think about it too much even oh well i've read a lot about dying and i've read uh i i i guess if i think about anything the thing that gives me the the willies the most is the idea of dementia. Hmm. And that's a kind of dying. You know, you no longer have your self. Hmm. So I go, I, if I think about anything about it, you know, I'm going, okay, I'm hard of hearing now. I'm probably like to get more hard of hearing. Maybe at some point I'll get a cochlear implant or two if I could afford that and if it's available to me and it works. I understand it does. Um, That'd be nice to be able to hear until I'm whatever. I think, okay, I'll probably live to somewhere in my 90s. That's where I go. Mm -hmm. I don't go much further than that. I don't go to 103 like your grandmother. And and that's uh, quite a ways on. Not really that much, but... 16 years, shame, uh, that seems like still a long ways. In, but, I, but so, and I see myself in a corner. I do. I kind of go, okay, I'll be old, really old. I might be with Skylar and you in a corner. I could see that happening and be comfortable with that. We have a, a, lot, a plethora of corners <laughs> right here. 
cozy corners, yeah. cozy, comfortable corners. There is no doubt about it. So um, that being the case, I'm thrilled that I live in a state that has the whole dying with dignity protocol mm -hmm. in place. Hopefully it won't go away with some kind of shift, horrible shift. Yeah. Because, uh, I, and I know all about that, you get to have to have the two doctors, and by, uh, let me just state this right now, there's a wonderful group, Compassion and Choices, they have a website, and they give you all the information you would ever need to know, mm -hmm. and they just updated their website to include the whole coronavirus thing, if you should be pretty terminal, within that six-month window, which you have to be terminal in six months in order to get the the, um, the good night pill. Right. And uh, if you should happen to get the, the virus now and you are terminal, what happens? They've got all that information for people. Yeah, and it is quite a process. I read through... Um some of the process and it's not something that can just be decided on a whim no it's a uh, you need multiple consents and waiting periods you need periods. two doctors saying yeah. you're terminal yeah you need to be able to take the pill yourself so right. you can't be so gone in dementia that you've um you're not a, you're not able to decide for uh, uh, anything right. that's the scary part yeah there's um it's yeah, not terminal dementia is not terminal hmm. you can live with alzheimer's for many many years talk about being a nuisance and a burden and with not a very good corner because you have to have diapers put on you yeah. jeff hmm. yeah <laughs> I, there's a lot i would do for you but <laughs> there, there may be a place where i draw the line um <laughs> corners are fine but yeah. uh i don't know about <laughs> diapers um well, you know, you said something interesting um, that the thing that gives you, I think, what you called the willies mm -hmm. about death would be something like dementia. And I think what you said was the loss of self. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wonder well, how you... that's persona. Yeah. Well, how do you define self or persona? What well, does that mean to I you? I would say, um, you know... Your, uh, let's call it your persona rather than yourself. Maybe self is bigger and deeper. And because I believe in spirit, I'm not my mother. I think there is something further on. Mm -hmm. I'm not able. I'm not going to get all bloviated about what it is because I don't know. But I have a pretty strong conviction that there's more than just my person. Mm. And so when, so let's just use the word when you are gone in a dementia you lose your memories altogether like a waterfall all your memories you keep revisiting them we've talked about that how you revisit your memories and update your personhood you lose all of that you don't know who you are you may be the kind of person given the fact that you don't know who you are you're scared because maybe you lived your life being scared. Yeah, or not knowing who you are your whole life. Mm. And scared of it. Or trying to defend the fact that you have a big, giant 
emptiness there that you try to fill with uh, things or power over people or who knows, you know. And now you don't have any of those crutches that keep you feeling who you are. And so you, you're, you don't have your person anymore, but you have the scared still. Yeah. And so those people can be that way. Alzheimer people can be that way and get all paranoid and angry and have to be constrained and not scary. Or you're a happy dementia. But, you're, you know, there's that too. So, um, and you can't take the pill. Right. Too late. Too late. You have to take it yourself and you don't know, huh? And so you know, they want to prevent murder. They want to prevent your heirs from saying, time for you to go. Yeah. Yeah, and, and certainly, you know, I was, really, I was reading various, um, the, the kind of approaches to dying with dignity that exist in certain institutional religions. And mm. they're definitely, they're generally quite restrictive. I mean, obviously in the Catholic religion, but even in, um, even in some forms of, Eastern religions uh-huh. where self-harm or it, it violates concepts like ahimsa, um, which, oh, I find, I which, I kind of, which I find sort of interesting. Do no harm kind of thing. Exactly, yeah. But, you know, you said, you said something to me the other day that ties into kind of what you just said, in a way. Um, you said something that that now at your age now mm-hmm. you are more able to appreciate the wind against your face and the way i interpret that oh i see right uh-huh is that you have because you have largely eschewed the material world largely Mm-hmm. In, in your life and behaviors and practices, that you have cultivated a certain kind of awareness um, of experiencing phenomena moment to moment and taking a lot of joy in that. Mm-hmm. And um, if you're not able to do that, if you have not trained yourself mm-hmm. to be able to do that, when all the other things break down, you, you've got nothing to find joy in, right? Yeah, you you have. If you if you haven't developed, and I, I think this is something that comes with being maybe come it's come to me certainly with being older and getting even more older all the time is the feeling of I'll take. I'll take pleasure and gratitude, gratitude, and just a lot of things that I used to just be like, it's nothing. I'll take gratitude in having a wonderful poop. (laughs) (laughs) I'll take, I'll just go like, I'm happy. This is good. And it feels good. And it is good because I had a brother who went through not being able to pee. And you die in very quick order if you can't do that you know like within 48 hours you'll be dead if you don't get to your ureter and get it out and so seeing him go through that pain twice 
you know, and whatever, I'm aware of that. Oh boy, I can pee. Maybe even too easily, but I'm (laughs) going to be grateful. I'm grateful for little things. I'm grateful for my grandchildren like you wouldn't believe. And I think maybe that's something that grandparents do pretty good, most of them. So yes, yeah, to be grateful for the wind in my face, it's true. I know that you don't have any special knowledge that the other 8 billion people on this planet have um, about the afterlife. I, and um, and I, you've already sort of made a disclaimer against bloviating on that particular topic. But it does seem like you have a faith in some, in some form of power that is greater than you, or just that greater than... The material well, uh, plane, I would say. Right. Mm-hmm. And, and why? And more, like, talk about that. Hmm. Well, uh, I used to put it like this for a while. And it, it, it is because I'm a gardener. And so I do composting. And when you throw a whole bunch of stuff on the compost pile, it's all stuff. And it breaks down, and you turn it, and it breaks down more, and breaks down more. And then there's a bit at the end that's called humic acid. Hmm. And that doesn't go away. That's something, yeah, you put it in your garden, in your soil, but it doesn't ever go away. It You can build up more of it. And that's sort of what I think about me and my life and my self, capital S, self, and my person, persona, there is a humic acid, Mm -hmm. I think, to me, that after I die, and this stuff that's this body, and I, I, hmm. now here I go into speculation. That's fine. It's, I, I sort of feel like, depending on how you've lived your life, your humic acid bit that's left after you're gone is attracted to and hangs out with, maybe, other humic acid that is of your kind. Mm -hmm. So if you've been someone, shall we use that word? If you've been a Trump type, power over, scared, have to have, must do, control, blah, 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 then you, when you die, you're going to be hanging out with the humic acid types that are like that. Mm. And that's going to be, you could say, purgatory or hell. So that was my, that's sort of speculation. Sure. That's, but that's where... That's kind of where I went. And that's, I, I'm leaving it at that. Yeah. Well, all we have are the contexts of our human experience to imagine things that are outside of it. And right. certainly, you know, um, if you are a Christian and you have an epiphany, mm-hmm. you 
will associate that most likely with sort of a oneness with God. Mm -hmm, right. Because mm -hmm. that is your religious and cultural context. Mm -hmm. If, you know, if you're a, a Buddhist, you know, y you may associate it completely differently with a sense of emptiness or self-transcendence, you know? So you are a gardener. <laughs> That's your religion, <laughs> right? Right, so. So, you know, and, and it's not the, it, it, in some ways, your gardening and some form of Abrahamic religion has avoid right. <laughs> to give you a somewhat dualistic concept of the afterlife of, um, based around humic acid, which I think is, you know, that's the way that we can understand these things because all we have are our limited five senses to uh -huh. perceive phenomena. That's, <laughs> that's right. It. That five senses and the brain that registers them. I love that Deepak Chopra thing. Yeah. That, he is so clear about that stuff, too. It makes it so clear. And he gives room for the skeptics and the people, the atheists. And he basically says, well, the atheists have a god, too. Hmm. I just totally, it's great. Yeah. It's great he, yeah, he was the first person that I really had an involved discussion with around... Um, I suppose the the cleavage between the material plane and the spiritual one and and where they actually alloy because I think one of the dangerous things um is to completely I guess bifurcate the divine and the material I think they're two separate things and yeah. he says they're not yeah. Well, well, I think, you know, and again, to Abrahamic religions and, you know, this gave, there was a kind of efflorescence of, of Judaism and Christianity, but even prior to them, theism in general around the agricultural, the development of, of, of agriculture, mm -hmm. where man, humanity needed an excuse to have dominion over the world. Mm -hmm. So, kind of removed himself from the animal world, took God, put it up in the sky, right. and stripped away anything divine from the material world. And we've sort of seen some of the modern um, ramifications of that, because most things in our life we look at as completely devoid of the divine, hence completely disposable. Plastic water bottles, big lighters, whatever, just go on and on and on. Yeah, right. So I think that's the danger between taking those things out. Because I'm sure, I mean, you probably look at your plants in your garden, I mean, and have a religious experience there. Uh, hmm. You might not think of it as religious in the way that many people think of religion. Right. Definitely, but it's something I don't, but divine about it, right? There's something magic, and magic is divine. There's, mm -hmm. It's magic. I was just talking with Karen, my sister. She's here with me, and we and Karen is like, I am so done with any of this spirit talking. Oh, Annie, no. And so she goes, Look at those two plants over there. That one's growing, and it's pretty big. And this one over here is kind of scrawny. 
And so, you know, that's disorder. There's no order to that. There's no order. There's, it's all chaos. How are you kidding? That one's got good soil under it. That's order. This one doesn't. No order. And you, I mean, order, it's order of a different magnitude. I don't think you can get away from the fact that this universe, universes, have a divine order. Hmm. From, I don't know how, but, and do the scientists know? I think they're trying to find out. Anyway, that's a big topic. That we don't is have a, to go there. That is a big topic. And, um... Yeah, I mean, of course, like, you know, this is, I spent a lot of my time, probably misspend a lot of my time thinking about that very issue, you know, and, and I think about it in terms of consciousness, really, of like, is that really what stands behind everything? Consciousness. Yeah. Or is it just some sort of lucky, fortuitous emergence from a, you know, a combination of atoms <laughs> that have given human humans the ability to not just perceive phenomena but to feel and to yeah and to see order and see yeah and develop develop a consciousness of the whole wonderment thing it's interesting because yes i remember reading i can't remember the name of the book the pendulum something or another and the the guy who wrote i wish i had it i loaned it to somebody what a mistake he said, this guy said that consciousness is an inevitable development. An inevitable development. It was bound to happen. It's like an efflorescence. We're not at the end of consciousness. I mean, there's more consciousness that can be, more efflorescence in the consciousness realm, you could say. So... If we, as a species, get extinct, possible, quite possible, there will be, the earth will not be extinct, and they will go back to who knows what, how far back down the life chain will it go, there will, in fact, be consciousness again Mm -hmm. on earth, unless, you know, oh yeah, there will be. It might be rats, or whatever, they might. You know, there will be another life form that comes along and becomes the consciousness that we know. Isn't that cool? Yeah. Well, certainly even in science's ability to study other mammals, there is, of course, you know, more and more evidence that, you know, pigs, for example, are totally conscious. They're sentient. Uh Yeah. That they experience pain. They've experienced sadness that, that when they're children when um baby pigs are born to a sow that uh, that they can recognize their baby's squeals and vice versa versus any other squeals on the farm you know so there is um, oh that's the mammalian thing that's emotion correct yeah well consciousness comes from emotion for sure but it's some it's an added bit yeah, I guess what I'm trying to get at is that the the part that of you that is not the brain, but it is the mind. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it is compa- there is compelling evidence to say that there's other beings on the planet that have that can share that have that, mind that have mind. 
Mm. Like, this is what's kind of freaking me out these days around eating too much meat. But that's yeah. a whole other Well, yeah. Topic. Now, uh, there's ways, you know, I mean, we're hunter-gatherers. We're hunter-gatherers. Yeah, I would guess I'm, I'll qualify that by saying how, how that meat the meat is, is raised. Least. Yeah. And how it's killed. Yeah. I mean, if it's killed like, it's like, the light is on, the light is off. Right. There's no pain there. Right. And if you can make it so there's no fear, close going into that pain, going into that light off, mm -hmm. eh, you know, I mean, that's how, uh, that's how the ranch killers who are good do it. Mm -hmm. You gather the into the corral, they're eating a little food, they don't, and you just put the pistol to the forehead of the, call them a lamb, but they're really not that small. They're teenage sheep. Boom, it's like light off. Mm -hmm. The other sheep that are there barely notice. Mm -hmm. They don't go, ah, I'm out of here. <laughs> it's their turn next. Yeah. And I don't even think they. it's my turn next. It just happens. It's not, you could wish for a death that's simple and easy and <laughs> yeah, well, I suppose that is the double-edged sword of human consciousness is that yeah, well. we are the only beings, as far as we can tell, that know that they will inevitably die. Right, it seems so. Big bunch of stress and fear and everything. Yeah. Possibly why we, quote, invented a god. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean, we need... We ways. need meaning. We, we need, need meaning. meaning. That's it. That's it. As humans, we need more meaning than most animals need. That's right. And we're epic storytellers no, and story yes. creators. That is it. Have you done like a living will or, or yeah. any of that stuff? Uh-huh. Yeah. Skyler is my advanced directive person. Ooh. I have an advanced directive where don't let me, don't let me fail miserably in some hospital. Get me out of the hospital, even if the doctors say, but she'll die if you do. Get me out. Yeah. Let me die. Yeah. Well, you can... I, from personal experience, I know that you can trust her in that particular I regard. I think I can. I, without any sort of like condemnation or judgment, I think I can trust her more than I can trust Jason. I think he would be more tender-hearted. He would somehow. That's, yeah. it's Skyler has a very small and cold heart. <laughs> <laughs> be sure that... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I'm not editing that out. Um, no, I might. I might. Um, yeah. Now well, she has a practical heart. She does. It's practical. It is practical. Sometimes, huh? you know, I, I wish it was slightly more tender, but that is also my own self-obsession. Mm -hmm. You know, oh. um, but she's lovely. We won't talk about her yeah. anymore. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that we, I think that death and the, our approach to dying is 
I suppose, a reflection of how we think about so many other different parts of our life, which is, again, as you point out, based in fear. And, I mean, you know, with the increasingly sort of like safety, well-intentioned, but sort of safety consciousness of everything, from helmeting and belting to COVID-19, washing hands, distancing, to antibacterial everything, to... Helicopter oh, parents, you don't, yeah. Or helicopter parents, or surveillance cameras, or surveillance culture, mm-hmm. um, is that these things are not disconnected. Correct. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, I suppose you... I mean, you've found kind of a way to live that feels so outside the norm. I mean, does that feel the way, does that, does it feel that way for you? And I, I guess just as a, hmm. some context, you well, guys, for listeners, you guys have lived on the same property for almost 50 years, 45 years? Uh, let me think, yeah, 45, 46 years-ish, yes, uh-huh, yeah. right. And a lot of the structures on that property you guys have built. Built or remodeled, yeah. Mm-hmm. They were falling down structures. And just give you a little, Jack is absolutely like, he doesn't like to think about dying and death. Or he doesn't like to go there. He thinks I'm morbid mm-hmm. to be even just thinking about it and reading so much about it. I've done a lot of reading about it. Knocking on Heaven's Gate, that's a book. There's just a lot of them out there, good ones. And um, he is like, I'm staying here on this place of ours that I built all this stuff, which he never likes to build anymore. He doesn't like to do that anymore, but he sees it all that he's done and takes pleasure and pride in it as well he should. I'm staying here. Well, Jack, I say, what if we neither of us can drive? And this place that we live in is seven miles from town down a windy road. We'll be stuck out here. I don't care. I'll get someone. We have a couple of, we have some tenants on our now remodeled buildings, and they're great tenants. I'll just, they don't have to pay any rent. They'll either drive me to town or bring me food. (laughs) And I'm here. That's right. I'm here in the sun hanging out, mm-hmm. writing my next novel or whatever, or poems. He'll probably go to poems by that time, and he writes great poetry. So, you know, I'm a little different that way. I'm like, hmm, I'm not sure I'll be happy that way. I think I would. I need more sociability. You I need want, a corner. I want the corner. <laughs> I want the corner where I watch Skyler, little girl, and I, I think there is an element where, hmm, but we're not fighting about it. But yeah. there's thoughts about that. Yeah. I don't think we're that, we're different than a suburban a dweller, an urban or even suburban dweller. But we're not that different. You know, hmm. we have property, we have income, we're safe that way. We're in our golden years. We get the golden years. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, every year... Um, Micah, who's 10 now, and uh, even though she's a bit of a hoarder of cash, she's got more cash than she'll admit, but um, 
you know, I wouldn't say she's flush to buy me things for my birthday. But instead of buying me anything, every year she gives me a coupon book. Oh, have you ever seen one of these? I have. And uh, they're, they're, you know, assembled with great love and care. They're, they're sort of bound with yarn or ribbon. And on each, uh, there'll be maybe a dozen coupons in there. And um, I'll open them up. And, you know, it'll be like three 10-minute walks on back. She walks on my back. She's right, <laughs> at the, she's right at the right weight to be able to do that. Or, you know, two, you know, walks in the neighborhood with dad, you know? Lovely, yes, nice cute, stuff. Nice time. stuff, yeah. So I was thinking that for your next birthday <laughs> that I would give you a coupon book. Oh, boy, yeah. Jeff, oh. I can't wait. And that it w- there'll be some redemptions for like 10 changes of diaper. <laughs> <laughs> Oh boy, Ooh, that's big. You, oh boy, that's so, big. And let me just tell you, because I have a lot of experience in um, how I uh, use the coupons. You know, I have to be very sparing with yeah. the use because it's a whole nother year. Correct. Till I get another coupon book. So it, it takes a lot of um, proper spacing and, and thinking about that. Oh, you're telling that. me I got to space my 10 diapers? That's right. Okay. <laughs> well, you know, I'm hoping and will be grateful if I get a one a day. <laughs> you know, oh, so yeah. uh-oh. Yeah. You better say 100. I don't, yeah, maybe spaced out over a, yeah. a decade. <laughs> um, all right. Okay. Well, you're, have to, you, you're going home. You're going I back am. to Sebastopol. Correct. Yeah. Um, I just want to point say one more thing. I do a lot of reading about different cultures. It's another one of my tropes, along with the Nazi trope, which I also do. So I've read a Farley Moat book. Are you familiar with him? Anyway, he's written a book called People of the Deer. Those people are gone now. They were up there in hmm, Canada, up there near the Arctic Circle, not all the way up into the, but very cold. And they hunt, they hunted and lived off reindeer, basically, and other things. And oh, they're gone. They're gone. Their culture is gone because destroyed by, because the reindeer went. And that was how their culture, and, but, so it's a tragic read because, mm-hmm. Cultures die, too. Yeah. And uh, he shares a couple of times he saw, they, they don't really have, at least he couldn't figure out, that they had a creator God. They didn't have that kind of a religion like that kind of a thing. And they certainly didn't get together on Sunday and do anything or Shabbat. They didn't, whatever. He couldn't see any evidence of that. But he would see these hunters go out and sit and look out at a sunset for easily an hour or two or some evanescent flower that was going to come and go in a very and just 
there and look at it. And that's spirit. You know, it's just like, yeah, we all have it. No matter how primitive the tribe, we're all in that together. The wanting and finding meaning and spirit. Yeah, yeah. Thanks for listening to today's conversation with Anne Grant. If you want to learn more about Anne, well, too bad. She doesn't even have internet. But you can learn more about dying well at deathwithdignity.org. If you have comments, questions, or suggestions about the show, just please email me at jeffk at onecommune.com. I try to respond to every email. That's all from the commune for this week. My name is Jeff Krasno and I am here for you.